you're not a victim. You're doing it. And when you're ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. Hello and welcome to the Humble You Podcast, where we talk all things mind, body, and life. And this episode features a conversation with mindfulness coach, Christian Schraka. Christian has a unique background as a tennis coach, leading him to apply evidence-based mindfulness techniques to unlock peak athletic performance. He is currently a member of the Mindfulness Facilitation Program at UCLA's Mindfulness Awareness Research Center. He's the global mindset coach for Adidas Runners and the CEO and co-creator of MindSize, a secular mindfulness approach tailored to professional and amateur athletes. So Christian, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. So there's a lot to unpack between the coaching of former Grand Slam winners, your role with Adidas, and the new company in MindSize. Uh, before we get into the juicy details, I'm curious about the story that led to this work. Yeah. So, um, you know, I suppose like with a lot of people, it's um, a combination of, you know, what my passion was, um, then what I struggled with, and then that was kind of the natural conclusion. So I started off as a tennis player from when I was very young, when I was four years old, and then I was playing on the circuit. I was doing pretty well. Um, and then my issues were um, before, um, you know, I actually had to stop playing professionally at the end. My issues were kind of uh, mental. I was not able to sustain the... Um, my optimal level of performance, mm. you know, the, the level that I was able to play frequently, I was not able to play consistently and as often as I would like, I would have liked to or needed to really to completely excel to the very top. Mm. Um, so eventually I had to stop, however, uh, due to an injury, I had surgery on my shoulder. And so in my early 20s, I went into coaching um, and started coaching all uh, tennis coaching, all uh, kinds of players on all levels from, you know, ambitious juniors, small kids, uh, amateur uh, athletes that just played recreationally, um, and also um, really ambitious college players and professional players. I was the head pro in the tennis academy in Spain, in the south of Spain. And so we had like all kind of levels there. We had um, juniors living with us there year long for two years, three years, four years. Um, and the one thing that I discovered, which was really pretty much my issue also, then I discovered that all the other players have the same issue, is that they are getting very frustrated um, very frequently because they know how good they can play and they can hardly ever do it. Hmm. So anytime you are not playing at your peak level, which you know you have because you're doing it, right? Sometimes you do it for a couple of minutes, sometimes you do it for a session or two, and then you don't do it again. And this up and down, it, it's such a big difference between those levels of when you're playing really well and when you're just playing average that like, you're like, what the, like, why is this happening, right? Yeah. So um, when I discovered that, that that was kind of one of the issues. Of course, not the only issue, but all the other issues like technical, strategical, physical strength, agility, like those are still keep improving, but they're for the most part figured out like to a very high degree, right? Like all athletes are incredibly fit. 
um, you know, strategy just keeps refining, but it's like off the charts already. But um, how to deal with adversities, how to deal with difficult circumstances externally, uh, with difficult opponents, uh, with difficult, uh, different, um, you know, environments, whether it's uh, weather, the audience, and so forth. Um, and how to deal with internal challenges, you know, if you are emotional and you're anxious, you're sad, you're angry, you're upset, you're in doubt, you know, you whatever you might be, what might be happening. You might be experiencing pleasant emotions, but they're too intense and they start to be distracting. You're overly excited, you know, you're overly looking uh, to um, win. You might be uh, so driven that you actually start to make wrong decisions, you yeah. know, that are not helpful for you. Yeah. Um, once I noticed that that is kind of happening, um, I figured out, one of the issues really like experientially I figured it out not that I was the first one to figure that out but it was like it hit me in a different way hmm. it's like well that is a skill that like the people just don't have and some athletes had it like naturally more gifted um, and some don't right so I was like well um, once I discovered that is basically the exact same thing that was happening to me um, when I was a player and still at that point also as a coach, you know, also in real life, it was no different for me. I was like, well, why is that like that? Why um, can a thought, for example, that is uh, a thought that I do not want to be thinking about just repeating in my mind thousands and thousands of times and I have no ability to change the thought to stop the thought to do anything about it it's just going to keep it's just going to stay there and it's going to impact me negatively um, but if I would choose to say I only want to think about something positive just as often as I'm thinking about this negative thing right now I can't do it mm -hmm. I really want to and I, 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 I can't yeah. yeah or on the other side I might have just one single thought pop into my mind because of a memory I had or because somebody said something. And immediately I have an unpleasant emotional reaction to it where I get sad or anxious or upset or something and I can't shake it. And it sits with me for minutes or even hours at a time. Mm. Um, and on the other side, if I say now, hey, I think a positive thought, there's not that positive kind of immediate reaction inside of me. And so when I kind of tried to flip it around like that, um, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like if it works one direction, it should work the other direction. I do not understand like why it is not like that. Mm. Right? Yeah. So then at that point, when I realized what the issue is, I tried to, in my own way, to kind of go into these different directions, noticing what's happening to me mm -hmm. and noticing that I don't have the ability to adjust things internally the way I would like to. Mm. Um, I decided to put a lot of time and energy into that. I started researching, I started reading, and I discovered that who knew? Um, you are able to develop these skills that I wanted to have, but I didn't have. I just didn't know at the time before that it's actually skills that you need to develop. I thought it's just like something you should be able to switch on and off, but that is not the case. So once I discovered that this is something that you can actually learn and improve at, 
I was like, okay, this is what I want to learn. Like I want to like, that's for just for me personally, from like a very selfish um, point of view, I wanted to be able to do that. I didn't want to think, you know, for seven hours about something that is upsetting to me just because somebody said one sentence. I was like, they have no issue whatsoever. They said something. They didn't even realize that it upset me. Just maybe something by when they were passing by, they made a comment um, that caused that reaction in me. And now I'm the one for seven hours kind of suffering, sitting there and like going through all these storylines. Yeah. I was like, this is not what I want to kind of um, have my life be like. Mm -hmm. So once I discovered it is uh, possible to develop these skills, I put in every single moment that I could, hmm. I put into developing these skills. And that's because you reading. I started practicing, yes. Yeah. Well, first I didn't taste it so much. I okay. tasted the opposite, but now I knew and I had the trust and belief in these people that I was listening to. Mm. Um, I could see it also. They could do it. You know, they're not, it's not, not, not just like a nice book that you read and like there's a nice theory behind it, but it's actually you, you see people and like they're not faced. It doesn't matter like what happens to them. They're totally able to um, just be cool no matter what's happening. They're just cool, okay? And they can pay attention to whatever they want to pay attention to. It doesn't matter if there's like thousands of people screaming. They just need to pay attention to this. That's where they're directing their attention to. Mm, that's so I could see and awareness. It. Yeah. Exactly. So um, uh, then I started developing those skills. Um, and once I got to a point where I was able to experience the difference, where I was able to do that, where I started to not get faced by external events. I was not faced by being anxious. So now I was playing or I was doing something and I still experiencing anxiety, but I don't have the same relationship to the anxiety anymore that I had before. Mm. Um, I was like, this is so powerful. I mean, this is like a different life for me right now. I'm a different kind of, I can, I can walk um, the earth in a very different way. It's much more efficient. It's a much more, you know, there's not so much contradiction the whole time, not so much fighting with, you know, this person and this experience and your inner self. And there's always like this back and forth. And it's just like, you're kind of going with the flow a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. And making wiser choices for yourself. Mm. Um, so once I got to the degree where I was like, whoa, this is like a big difference right now. Um, I said, this is what I want to kind of give to everybody. I want to be able to be part of um, those people in the world that help other people um, develop and discover what they're actually capable of, mm -hmm. just internally speaking. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many, so many amazing coaches in the world. Yeah. that do so many good things. Um, and in this field, there's also actually a lot of amazing coaches, but not as many in the sports world yet. Okay, there is some that are fantastic, you know, Michael Gervais, George Mumford, and like, you know, we can keep naming other people. Um, but um, it's not just like, oh, there's so many of them yet. There's basically too much work for each one of them to do. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, I have kind of also had a little different approach for them, not better or worse. It's just different a more systematic approach. Um, and yeah, that's kind of uh, what I've been doing now for the past, you know, uh, a decade more or less, and then refined, 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 and then got into the kind of things where I'm in right now for the past two, three years. 
Wow. Great reflections. And, you know, we are mind and body and playing sports, you just think about the body and you can have all the physical attributes, but without the mind, you know, if you're thinking about what happened earlier, you're going to be living there. You're not going to be here in the present um, focused and, and building that flow state and building that awareness to be able to perform mm -hmm. at your peak level. Um, I'm wondering how long did it take in that transition to really start to believe in it and trust it? That's a good question. Well, to believe in it, um, that was just like, I mean, that's a belief, right? It's a belief is basically just a thought in your mind that you believe to be true, okay, mm -hmm. or not. Um, and that might have nothing to do with reality. I mean, we know there's plenty of people in the world that believe something to be 100% true. Scientifically uh, speaking, there's no evidence for that whatsoever. Um, and the other way around, there's things that are scientifically proven and people don't believe it, mm -hmm. okay? So my belief, okay, so now we know what, like, what I define as belief. Um, I believe that in the moment I noticed that that is an issue and I saw that other people had the ability and then they were explaining something that kind of spoke to me. I understood or I felt like I understood what they're speaking about intellectually. I just couldn't do it. Hmm. But I knew what the opposite experience is like of what they're talking about okay the the downside of that i knew what that experience is like and i did have the belief even before i heard somebody to be like it should be possible the other way around and now these people are just kind of reaffirming what i thought should be possible they're just basically showing a way to get there hmm. um did anything so, lead to that realization or was it it i mean something that you've seen that was on the one side, um, it's my whole life having experiences over and over and over again where I experienced something, I was not able to deal with it, and then I knew by experience what, how I dealt with it, mm. you know, um, how for many hours or days or weeks I got stuck on something in my mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, these were the stories that people were kind of referring to. I was like, well, this can happen to you, right? And I was like, uh, yes, that happened to me exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they over and over again were giving these examples and they were like, as if they were kind of um, giving my personal examples. I was like, this is a little weird oh, almost, yeah. right? <laughs> like, how's that? Like, how does he know that? I didn't never said <laughs> to anybody. Um, and then... And um, there were, however, like certain aspects, um, certain like momentary kind of experiences, so to speak, or events that had um, more significant impact on me, right? Mm. But I wouldn't even say that like the, the positive events were more beneficial than the negative ones. I needed the, the unpleasant experiences to ha have enough motivation to really even want to develop these skills. Mm. If everything would have been like kind of okay, I never would have suffered, I never would have gone with my mind, I might have never like developed the intrinsic motivation to actually get out of this rut, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, that's definitely part of it, okay? And it's an important and essential part that I... Do not want to miss however pleasant or unpleasant it uh, was. Um, and then there were like these couple of events where one I referred to where, um, you know, I was basically just sitting there in the car by myself and I was realizing like, why uh, can I just not change and start thinking something positive? Hmm. Why can I not just feel good right now? I can definitely intentionally 
write this, start to feel bad. Like that's no issue. Yeah. I can recall a memory of something unpleasant and immediately I will have an unpleasant emotional sensation. I can do this right now, like no issue at all. <laughs> but the other way around is like, it's not possible. So that was like a big one for me. There's a very big moment. I was maybe a minute or two minutes long. I was at the car at the red traffic light. Like that's how long it took. Wow. And that's the moment it happened. Wow. Um, and then the... Second big one was actually when I was with a client and I had this client, wonderful, like the kindest person. And for whatever reason, every time I taught her and I was explaining anything to her, I was, I was using metaphors, which I sometimes do. But in her case, I would not use anything but metaphors, <laughs> which was a little bit, I don't know why, it just kind of happened. Yeah. Um, and she also got everything that I tried to explain to her through the metaphor. She exactly knew what I was talking about. So it was like very nice. Hmm. And then um, she enjoyed kind of the metaphors very much. And in return, she started telling me metaphors, um, but unrelated to sports, but like just about the mind and like how we function in the world. Hmm. And then she was like, tell me this one story. And I was like, that story, like I have never heard a story like that. And I was like, that is like exactly me. You know, that's what I was referring to before also already. Whereas like people were telling stories. And I was like, that's a little weird. Like how can that person like, so that's one story she said hmm. that I was like, whoa, that's a powerful story. That's exactly my experience. How is that possible? Hmm. Um, so like she told me the story about the um, two ducks in the pond. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's a Zen story basically. I don't know that it's like one. two ducks in the in the pond, mm -hmm. and um, it talks about how um, you know if two ducks are in the pond and they got into each other's territory and they start fighting because one gets into the territory of the other one. Um, the way that will um, happen is that you know they get very excited, like they start um, uh, fighting and screaming and whatever, um, and that lasts a minute or two, and then the fight, so to speak, is over they swim apart, maybe they shake off a little bit that energy and tension in the body that they have, and then they go about their way and just continue, you know, living their lives and, you know, paying attention to what they need to eat or swimming or whatever. Um, however, if in the exact same situation, there would be two human beings and they would get into a fight because one would go into the territory of the other or would say something that the other would upset and the fight is over, Okay, after two minutes and they would go parts, then that is not the experience that these two individuals would have. I would go and I would turn around and I would start to think, how could he do this to me or she? Like, how, is the, how dare she even talk to me like that? Mm -hmm. Does she not know who I am? Does she know what I have done in my life? How dare she talk to me like that? This is in, unbelievable. Like, I can't even believe. And your mind would just go on and on. And I was like, that is... I'm definitely doing that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. One of the stories. Projecting that. It, yeah, the yeah. Like, yeah. And your mind would can go on for hours and hours like that, right? Um, and then the next time she would tell me a different story in this way and a third story. And eventually it was like, where are you having these stories from? Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing that you both told each other stories that you, yes. that, that you both related to. It was like that exactly, connection was supposed exactly. to be in a sense. Yeah, um, and, and and our energies. I mean, there's a positive and negative side. That's the only way energy can be the polarity or the duality of life. And you know, if you deny that negative side, it's just gonna 
it's going to keep building and it's going to keep trying to influence us. And, you know, it's almost like the shadow that Jung talks about. You got to integrate it somehow to be whole. And without it, you know, you're, you're losing a whole half of yourself that you're denying. Yes, yes, very true. You, you know, you, that's basically trying to be cool. You don't want to suppress anything, not, uh, no matter how unpleasant it, it might be, right? Internally, externally. So yeah, v v very much so. Yeah, I feel like if you're suppressing it, it's almost like you're telling your unconscious that you're accepting it back into the system and it can keep running that program in a sense, um, instead of handling it and, and taking it on and, and, and working through it. So the mindfulness, I, 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 I've heard a lot of different people try to define what mindfulness is. Mm -hmm. Some people, it's a little bit too conscious in a sense. Other people uh, maybe are a little bit more in the unconscious realm of the mind. What do you define mindfulness as? Well, I would start off as that, um, you know, you want to first look at, is it secular mindfulness or is it more traditional mindfulness? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, if you go into the realm of traditional mindfulness, um, which is part of the Buddhist tradition, of course, okay, um, they might be using the terminology a little bit differently, but when you really start to practice, um, whether it's secular or it's traditional, all the skills that you're developing are all the same. It's all the same. Um, if there is different people talking about it in a different way, but it's just, you know, describing um, the elephant from different perspectives, but they're still talking about the elephant. It's always going to be the same elephant. Teachers that know, that have the experience, that practice, to my experience, I have not met a single one who's saying something where I'm like, no, 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 that's like uh, totally not true what you're saying. Mm. Um, and I have and continue to um, listen to as many teachers as I possibly can. And there's many great ones. Mm. Um, but there's a little bit of an issue at the, at the beginning if you hear somebody say something and then you hear somebody else say something and it's just a limited perspective. You're maybe early on in your practice. You don't have that much experience and it might sound completely contradictory. And from a certain perspective, it is contradictory, but that's just how our minds work and how experiences are. Like life is just a whole contradiction in itself all the time. Um, and it's some, that's something to accept. And it's part of the process, really. But I just want to say, like, oh, even if I'm going to define mindfulness for you right now as we do it, um, and there's somebody who is like, yeah, but I define it like this, is like, that's fine. It's really, we are talking about the same thing, okay? In the, word, in the end, we are using um, concepts. We're using words to describe skills, experiences. So we are never really actually doing the same thing. It's always just like an arrow pointing to what we're talking about. It's never that thing, mm. okay? So the words, whatever words you use, you, it, it will never be the actual skill, okay? So that being said, um, with the way we define mindfulness and mind size and unified mindfulness um, is a combination of three skills working together at the same time intentionally so those skills are um, in short concentration, clarity and coolness hmm. now you need to define those skills of course because I mean concentration could be whatever you want it to be in a way right what does it mean for you for a lot of people, concentration means being able to pay attention to one little thing for a long amount of time. 
So they would say that's concentration. And um, for example, in traditional um, Buddhist uh, mindfulness, if they talk about concentration, this is what they mean. They actually mean sustained attention. That's what they're talking about. And that's how they define concentration. So you can't, it's not wrong or right. It's just like, oh, that's what they mean about concentration. Okay. Mm -hmm. When I talk about concentration, what I talk about is your ability to pay attention to whatever you want for however short or long. So you might be able to pay so sustained attention. So let's say you pay attention to your breath at your nostrils for two hours without a single time your mind wavering, never getting distracted, never mind wandering, not feeling any other sensation, just that zoned in like a laser for two hours. Okay, that is a very high level of concentration. Mm -hmm. And to be more specific, subcategory, sustained attention. But then we have selective momentary attention. We have executive attention. Um, we have all these different kinds of um, concentration. So selective momentary attention would be your ability to pay attention to your nostrils, be dialed in just as much as you're dialed in for two hours, but only for three seconds, let's say. And then you move your attention to a sound. Mm. And then you move your attention to something that you see and so forth. So you're able to focus fully for a brief moment on something and then you move your attention to wherever you need it, right? And as athletes and humans in general, that's a very important skill to be able to uh, pay attention to different things. So that's what I define as concentration, is one of the skills that you're using when you are being mindful, okay? Mm -hmm. um, the second skill, um, clarity, is what other people referred to as awareness, presence, being in the moment, being now, and so forth. Okay. So what is it that you're actually doing when you are present, when you are uh, being aware? Um, you are tracking in real time what you are experiencing. Mm. So you might be really aware of your breath, or you might be really aware of what is going through your mind. You might be really aware of what you're listening to externally. Uh, you might be aware of anything, right? So those are two. So and you have subcategories in clarity also. So on the one side, it's your ability to track in real time what it is that you're experiencing. On the other side, is this your ability to clearly distinguish between different sense categories? So mm -hmm. being able to distinguish between. Um, a physical body sensation like feeling that my hand is somewhat cold and um, what I'm hearing right now, that's an easy distinction. Mm -hmm. But being able to distinguish between whether I'm feeling stomach pain because I haven't eaten or whether I'm feeling uh, stomach pain because I'm anxious, that's a more challenging distinction. Mm -hmm. Okay, Some people get confused. They don't know which is which. right? Or being able to distinguish between thoughts is this an auditory thought? Am I talking to myself right now? Am I repeating a phrase or am I like doing, going through a storyline? Or is it a visual thought? Am I seeing what I'm thinking about? Mm. Being able to clearly distinguish those two um, thoughts from one another also falls within clarity, awareness. Okay, so you're more aware. Um, so it's your ability to clearly distinguish. It is your ability to penetrate with your attention, the experience, okay, to discover more detail. And it is also your ability to take a different perspective, to be able to hold things from a different perspective, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the third skill, um, coolness, 
um, is what I call it. Um, in traditional mindfulness, they call it equanimity. And in secular mindfulness, a lot of times they will talk about openness and acceptance. But it's all the same. It's again, it's just a word. But the skill is that you are trying to be equally open to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experiences without trying to suppress anything that's unpleasant, without trying to cling to anything that is pleasant. Mm. Mm. So these three skills at work, if you really like start to understand what this is and you start to practice that and then you do whatever other practice, you will see like, oh yeah, this is exactly what we are practicing. They just might say, oh, this is mindfulness, this is awareness and like, and this is concentration. It's a different skill, but nonetheless, they're using the two yeah. and they're always using equanimity or coolness also. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever in mindfulness will not use these three skills, whatever they will name them, whatever like might be different, but this is what they're actually doing. And that was beautiful. And, and what I was trying to say earlier is some people overthink the mindfulness. They see the word mindful, they hear a couple quotes, and then they're saying, oh, you know, I'm going to be mindful. And they start thinking too much about things and putting <laughs> labels and judging things. And it almost ruins what the true nature of mindfulness is. And I love the three words that you use because that puts it in a perspective without much uh, woo-woo or, or big words, it puts it in perspective for people to taste and feel. Um, so yeah, it was a, a beautiful way to describe it. And I'm, I'm wondering for people that are struggling with mindfulness, one of the big questions I'm always asked is I'm trying to be mindful, but the thoughts just keep flushing through me mm -hmm. and I can't quiet my mind. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that is a very common experience. Um, pretty much everybody has that, especially when they start. But it's also good to know you still have that, even though you might practice for years and years. Mm -hmm. um, the difference will be over years of practice that your mind will not be fl flushed with thoughts as much as frequently on the one side. So there is a benefit, beneficial experience there. On the other side, you will change your relationship to your thoughts. Um, so whether you are thinking something or nothing, or whether you're thinking about something positive or negative or neutral, it's not going to impact you so much because you're going to start to realize that all it is is an activity in one of your sense categories. Mm. It's like you're listening to the bird. Okay, the bird is there. It's a pleasant sound. And now, oh, there's a, uh, um, there's a car driving by that's very loud. Okay, that's an unpleasant sound. And now there's neither the bird nor the car. Now it's just silence. Okay, so there I'm listening to the silence. And the same can be happening in the mind. You are not thinking. You, you are noticing the thought, right? So you notice there's an unpleasant thought. You notice there's, an unpleasant, uh, there's a pleasant thought. Or you notice there is maybe no thought at all for a moment. Key thing to understand um, is what you just referred to is like um, you're not doing anything wrong if you are having a thought. With mindfulness, we are not trying to stop thinking at all. If you're trying to stop thinking, it would be like trying to stop breathing. The mind is made, the, um, one of the functions of the main functions of the mind is to think. If we could not be thinking, like not so good uh, the way we would walk through life. Um, so... That's uh, what the mind is made to do, um, at least one of the things it's made for. And we are taking advantage of that every day of our life. Um, but we do have the ability to nudge it quite significantly over years of training into a much more efficient, 
pleasant um, kind of direction into in terms of how our minds function. So um, rather than us being a slave of our minds, so the way I was um, explaining before, like I would have a thought and I would be like enslaved by it. Uh, for, thought, for hours I would be thinking about what my mind just came up with and I couldn't let it go. Um, eventually you get to the point where you are being able to take advantage of your mind and you can think about what you want to think about and if you do not want to think about something you cannot not necessarily will you stop thinking about something that you don't want to think about but what you can do is you can turn your attention to something different so the thoughts that are going through your mind you're not fighting them you're not suppressing them right but you're allowing them to be there you're trying to be cool with them but while that is happening, you're just paying attention to what somebody else is saying, really, right? So redirecting your attention is, is concentration, is one of the abilities. Mm -hmm. So these three skills start to really kind of work together. And there's many techniques and many strategies that you can use to kind of benefit from that. Mm -hmm. So science-based mindfulness, what's, what's that all about? Um, how, how do you scientifically base something that's, invisible in a sense well i mean um there is different ways to uh kind of test right these skills on the one uh side you have uh, just self-reporting you have a mindfulness awareness scales and there's many different tests where let's say you do a test and you just try to um, answer those questions like did you notice this or was your mind wandering or and there's like you know two three four five pages of tests and then after some time of practice you do another test and you self-assess again and you can see a shift there mm. that's one okay one way uh, that they're incorporating um, uh, tests into uh, the scientific studies um, oh, another thing that they're doing is that they are testing um, physiologically uh, cortisol levels, um, different uh, stress levels, hormones, oxygen level, like anything you could basically test and see is there, is, is there a difference between when at the beginning of your practice and after eight weeks of practice and maybe after a year of practice and then you do the longer the studies, you know, the more different results you will get um, possibly more beneficial, possibly not, depending on what it is. And then the third uh, is um, imaging, you know, um, EEG, fMRIs, and so forth. And you can really see and detect um, after the fact, and now even in real time, where the mind is actually active. Is mm. the prefrontal cortex more active or less? Is the amygdala more active or less, depending on, um, you know, how long you have practiced, what situation you're in, and so forth. So there's many different ways to kind of really um, see how is the body um, and the mind um, reacting and what are the actual differences between before practice and during and after practice and not just self-reporting saying like, oh yeah, I can pay more attention for a longer period of time now. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was wondering, because surveys, you know, you're, you're asking people, you never know if they're telling the truth or not. Yeah. Um, no, no. But, but it's amazing that science and technology is getting to a point where we can start to see some of these uh, invisible aspects, quote unquote, mm -hmm. uh, of our, our minds and bodies. And it's important because we got to blend the two to become whole. So another question that, that, that keeps popping up for me um, about mindfulness is that acceptance. It's part of your, your big three. 
what do you say to people that, that, that struggle accepting who they are, or struggle accepting those negative thoughts that arise? What's a good practice for them to kind of redirect them? Um, very, very nice question. Um, I have to say, and that is, uh, you know, arguably for some people, one of the more challenging things, um, but nevertheless, there's a multitude of techniques that you could, um, try out. So whatever I'm going to come up with is more like a suggestion. Even if I would be talking to one person um, and they would be giving me like their exact problem and talk about like what they're struggling with, I still would not be able to tell you this is the technique that is best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that is always for that individual to figure out. What we can do is um, teach them um, how these techniques work, um, teach them the underlying principles of how to adjust things. And then by practicing different techniques, they will be able to figure out what can they connect with more? What do they like? What do they don't like? What is easier for them? What takes more effort? Mm-hmm. Um, and what has a more beneficial impact on them when they practice it and what doesn't? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, just to give a few examples, let's say you, ha- you are in the situation where you just you know, have a lot of negativity in the mind and you just over and over uh, are thinking about something that is unpleasant okay whether that is regard in regards to yourself or in regards to somebody else okay now one option you would have is to try to be cool with that you allow the thoughts to be there and over and over you return your attention to something other than that okay it might be only one thing that is something different so let's say um I'm sitting uh, at the beach and I'm hearing the ocean, okay? And I'm also hearing all of the nonsense going through my mind. And now, I, every time my attention goes to my mind and I'm noticing what I'm thinking about, I try to allow that to be there, try to be cool with it, and I return my attention to the sound of the ocean, if I'm enjoying the ocean, let's say, okay? So it's a pleasant sound that I'm noticing. And I redirect my attention to the pleasant sound of the ocean over and over would be one option, for example. Um, I mean, there's literally an indefinite amount of options, okay? I'm just giving a handful. Um, Another um, uh, option would be, let's say you're working out, uh, you're running, and now you have a negative mind because you're afraid or you're in doubt. You don't know if you're going to make it, okay? Um, Now, that would not be beneficial for your performance, and you need to redirect your attention not to something now necessarily pleasant like the ocean. You might not even be at the ocean, um, and there might not be anything that is really pleasant for you, but you want to redirect your attention to something that is relevant for your performance. So you might be needing to watch the opponent, okay? You might need to watch the ball, okay, if you're playing tennis, um, you might be, if you're running, um, and you're running a marathon and you're 20 or 15 miles in, and you really don't know whether you can make it to the end at this pace. Um, well, there's no need to, um, and no benefit in paying attention to the mind the whole time and trying to figure that out and getting an answer for it. Um, but you return your attention to how your body feels. So you run more efficiently, you relax your body and so forth. Mm. A whole other way to work with it is also to try to substitute the thoughts that you are having for positive thoughts. 
Okay. For some people that takes more effort for some people less, like everybody kind of ticks differently. Positive affirmations is something that a lot of people are, um, kind of naturally kind of doing. Sometimes they tell them some, something good, like, yeah, you can do this. You can do this. <laughs> the issue is they only do it for two or three seconds. So it doesn't really have uh, that much benefit compared to the negative thought that there's had for 20 minutes at a time, right? So you want to reverse that. And let's say I'm thinking about un involuntarily, oh, I can't do this. I don't know if I can make this. Should I do this? And I just, these three thoughts just keep repeating the whole time. The moment I notice that, I can say, hey, even though it feels somewhat fake, um, because now I intentionally generate a thought that, didn't come out of, you know, like perceived me. Um, I now say, I can do this. Mm. I will be able to finish. And now I keep repeating that, however, for 10 minutes. And every time my mind changes again and I have these negative thoughts again, the moment I notice that, up, I switch it again and I start thinking intentionally, I can do this, I will finish. Mm. I can do this. I will finish. And I direct my, I'm not just repeating those words literally, mindlessly. I am repeating them mindfully. So it is a mindful exercise. Why is it a mindful exercise? Even though I'm consciously trying to th think about something, it is because I'm using the three skills. I'm directing my attention to that positive thought. So that's concentration. I am trying to track in real time that thought. So I'm really hearing myself say, I can do this. I will be able to finish. Okay, so it's the second skill. And the third skill you're using because you're trying to be cool with everything that you're experiencing, whether that's outside of the focus range. You might be experiencing pain or fatigue, um, or you might be getting distracted by something else that you're noticing and you need to return your attention that causes a reaction in you. You try to be cool with that. Your mind might switch again. You have that negative thought involuntarily. You try to be cool with that once you notice that. So you're using these three skills in unison the whole time, even though you are repeat, you're actually thinking, right? And so you're doing it as a, a mindful exercise. Wow, that's great. So let's bridge the gap from mindfulness now to peak performance. You know, it, you think about mindfulness and calmness and then peak performance, you're thinking just the nitty gritty. Um, Making that connection, working with athletes, what insights have you found? Well, uh, uh, one of the insights I have uh, discovered is that there is people and athletes in this case that have these three skills more naturally developed um, from the get-go. Okay, like any skill, um, the way you're born, you might have one skill further developed than another. So there's people, let's say you're a runner, um, or you're not a runner, you're just like, let's say you're 15 years old and one person can run uh, 100 meters in, without ever having trained, let's say in 13 seconds, okay? It's pretty fast for somebody who has never trained, right? Um, and then the other person is running it in 19 seconds, which is much more like, let's say, the average of people that have never trained, like teenagers. Okay, um, if you now have the 15-year-old not training for the next five years and you have the 15-year-old that ran it in 19 seconds, trained for five years in a systematic and consistent way their body, they do everything that is necessary to be able to 
be able to run these 100 meters as fast as they possibly can, they will have, uh, the first person will have no chance against the other person, mm -hmm. right? With five years of training, not after maybe two months of training, but like a long period of systematic training. Um, that is really what matters. Of course, if the person that is naturally gifted also puts in the time and systematic practice, well, then those are the people that excel to the very top. Yeah. Like those are the top of the world. But it always has to come in combination. Mm. Um, so that's what I've discovered that is most of the time the case that if you take somebody like Michael Jordan, if you take somebody like Novak Djokovic, if you take somebody like... Um, Michael Phelps. Um, yes, they are naturally gifted um, physically, um, technically, strategically, but a lot of, especially young uh, athletes, a lot of times mistake. Oh, they're just so naturally gifted. They can do this. They didn't have to work as hard as the other ones, right? No. Um, if you look at anybody, it is always the case that the ones that are the greatest are maybe somewhat more talented in certain aspects. But they always will have worked way harder than anybody else. Yeah. And over years, not for one season, you know, or a couple of practices here and there, um, sporadically, just generally. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would uh, uh, recommend everybody watch um, The Last Dance, you know, with Michael Jordan. It's on Netflix now if you have that or wherever. Um, to see like, yeah, he was the greatest player of all time. And that was not because he was the most gifted player of all time. When he was young, he was not the uh, number one draft. He was not even that great in high school. And like, he worked for it. He wanted it so much that that is what eventually gave him the, all these abilities that everybody was like, wow, he is just so good as he was. And it's so easy to just sit back and look at these athletes like LeBron James or Michael Jordan or uh, Tiger Woods and say, oh, you know, I can't be that. And really, you know, deny yourself in a sense. Um, but this provides real nice, uh, sweet hope for people uh, to put yeah. in that work and, and, and build something and create something beautiful in yourself. And you can see also how these three skills... Um, and by the way, somebody like Michael Jordan was meditating for years and years, right? They had George Mumford, who was uh, training the Bulls and the Lakers under Phil um, Jackson for years in exactly these skills, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see these three skills active in real time as a spectator even. You can tell um, he was paying attention to what he needed to pay attention to. He wasn't paying attention to the audience here sometimes and then to that, right? Or like just get, being mind-wandering all of a sudden. No, he was dialed in and it was not like he had to pay attention to one thing, his breath the whole time. No, he had to pay attention, however, to a very specific group of things, okay? And nothing outside of that. So there's many things he had to pay attention to. Nonetheless, the scope of his concentration is limited to a certain degree. And he has to be able to pay attention to whatever is most important within this group and nothing else. Hmm. So that is the definition of concentration. Okay, so you can see that, just watch him play and you can see that's happening. He never goes uh, with his attention somewhere else. You can see it, you know, I mean, if you lose your concentration, you can see it in somebody's behavior and face. You can see they look around, they're mind wandering and so forth. Yeah. Second skill, um, which is uh, active and very visible, is for example, in a lot of games, you can see that... Um, you know, he starts off the game and he doesn't hit the first few um, shots. So if he ends up a little bit short 
And then he adjusts, you know, after three, four, five shots or whatever, and he starts hitting them. Like, what is he doing? Mm -hmm. He is noticing in real time that maybe he's not following through enough of his wrist. Maybe his hand is not relaxed enough, right? There is subtleties, technical subtleties, but nonetheless, they're somatic. They're in one of our sense categories that he needs to be able to detect in real time, not 15 minutes after. He has to notice that he is too tense. He has to notice that he's not following through. Mm. If he is able to notice that in real time, it gives him the ability to adjust it if need to be, or it gives him the ability to try to replicate it if it is correct. Mm. So that is clarity at work. He's tracking in real time how relaxed he is in his hand. Okay? So he's aware of his hand. Okay? It's not just I'm aware of everything. I don't need to be aware of everything if I'm playing a basketball game. And coolness, you can see at work in par excellence, right? It doesn't matter what the score was. It doesn't matter whether he was playing well or not. Like he is just unfazed by what is happening and he's always trying his best. You can see it with Federer. You can see it with mm. Nadal, right? You can see it with LeBron. Of course, there's sometimes reactions and stuff and they need to be. But generally speaking, whether they're up in score and down in score, um, whether they're playing bad or great, right? They're not like super excited and just celebrating the whole time because they're playing so good or they're like totally down on themselves because they're not playing so well. Mm. They're always trying to be cool with whatever is happening so they have the ability to stay in the moment and pay attention to what matters. Mm -hmm. and, and also, not even just the negative side of coolness, but the positive side. Getting too overly excited about uh, exactly. the positive aspect can keep you off balance. And uh, I'm seeing yes. this as that center point. Um, and I'm also seeing that selective mindfulness that you were talking about earlier with, uh, uh, with uh, Michael Jordan in having to shift his focus and attention in different areas and keep that mindfulness and that awareness with him uh, in those shifts, which is very difficult work. Yes, exactly. But there's techniques for that. You know, there's, you can literally, um, that's one of the pretty uh, beautiful things that we have discovered is like, you can tailor the techniques to exactly what you need. So when you are, um, you know, developing your mind and you're trying to be more mindful in general, um, you could compare that as an analogy to just trying to be more fit. You know, I mean, you're trying to be healthier and that's great. Um, so you go running a little bit, you do a little yoga, um, Pilates, you know, ride the bike, do a sport, like play a little tennis or something. And that's all good for you. It's going to have a positive impact. However, if you want to really be the best tennis player you can be, if you want to be the best marathon runner you can be, if you want to be the best sprinter you can be, each one, th one of those three requires a completely different training, even within running. Like a 100-meter runner and a, a marathon runner, it could not be more different from one another what they're doing, how they're trying to develop the muscles and so forth. Um, and it's exactly the same with the mind. So if there's no specific goal that you have or skills that you need to apply mindfulness to or want to, that's fine. And it will be very beneficial to you to develop those skills, those three Cs, in general, like it would be beneficial for everybody to um, live a healthier lifestyle because they're working out generally. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, making that uh, leap to just try to generally be um, more mindful and now hoping that it will have a specific beneficial impact on your basketball game or on your tennis game, like that's a little bit far-fetched. You need to develop those skills specifically 
for you, how you tick, and for the skills that you need them at. So when you are um, at the free throw line and it's the playoffs and there is literally 20,000 people yelling at you, wanting you to miss, you can develop the skills that you need to be able to deal with that situation internally. That's a very different kind. It's, three, it's still the three skills, but it's a very more um, narrow um, kind of perspective and subcategories of those skills than being able to um, you know, pay attention to the waves or your breath um, when there is an annoying sound happening. Mm. It's a different situation or if you're experiencing pain. And this is how you need to develop your mind as a pro athlete, you know, or as an amateur athlete for that matter, if that's something you're interested in, mm. to be able to really take advantage and um, reap the benefits from um, developing those skills for you in your sport. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. You, you don't even think about that with mindfulness. You think more of the general sense. I never thought about the personalized mindfulness. Uh, and then that's that next level. Wow. So we're getting close to the end. I like to ask a few fun questions just to lighten things up. It's been just a beautiful talk. Um, but speaking of the world and mysteries in the world, um, what's one mystery in mind, body, or life that you wish you had the answer to? Mm. That, I did not see the last part coming. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, the mystery, I would say, is that's one of the mysteries in life is consciousness. Nobody knows what. Nobody knows where it is. Nobody knows <laughs> really what. Like, I mean, there's just, um, we know less about consciousness than we know about the universe. And, you know, we don't know that much about the universe. Um, and we know even less about consciousness. So mm -hmm. just to put that in perspective, yeah. we don't even know whether consciousness is inside of us or not. You know, whether there's multiple consciousness or if it's just all one consciousness, like there's just, um, I'm not 100% sure this is like touching about more specific fields of neuroscience, but I think this is uh, this described as the heart problem, hmm. um, which, you know, a lot of people are attempting to answer and like by attempting to answer this and going over it, maybe one day we will be able to answer it. I think that would be um, a good that would be a nice answer to have, you know, about like just what is consciousness. Mm -hmm. That's that's mine too, honestly. That's when I, when I wrote down that question uh, to start the podcast. That was the one thing I that kept hitting me. You know, consciousness is just it's in us, but we we can't even taste it. We can't see it, but we can feel it. Um, well, we don't know if it's in us actually. Oh well, yeah, 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 yeah. That is right. <laughs> or if it is maybe within us and outside of us. Who knows? Yes, well, yes, yes, exactly. Dual duality. Um, so what about a biggest influence in your life, uh, someone that, that really spoke to you, pushed you along your way? Oh, well, I had a few. I'm very lucky. Mm. Quite a few, actually. Mm. That uh, gets me a little emotional. Big influence in my life is my wife, for sure. Um, wonderful human being. Mm. My parents. Mm. That's, you know, just my family, basically. And then uh, my teachers, which are Klaus Hofsest. Uh, he was my like my second father, basically. He helped me, uh, taught me tennis and then taught me to teach for 12 years. I lived with him in Spain. Wonderful guy. Also one of the most successful tennis coaches in history. Mm -hmm. A wonderful tennis academy in Marbella, Spain. Anybody who likes tennis, like I highly encourage you, check that out, you know. Um, and then... Um, 
for sure uh, my uh, teacher Shenzhen Yang, um, huge influence on me. Um, you know, and then there's a lot of other teachers uh, and coaches that have had a big influence on me over my life. Some of them I don't even know personally. Nonetheless, they had a huge influence on me. Like Eckhart Tolle um, would be one who has a huge influence on me, but, you know, I never spoke to him. So there's a, a few people like that also. But, you know, just to keep it short, these are the people that, you know, really are in my life um, and had a huge influence on me. Beautiful. Uh, last question, uh, maybe a, a setback or a major realization that you've had through your journey that, that maybe shook your core a bit. That I'm not the one who's thinking. Mm. That was my, that was a big one for me. For my whole life, it was like, you know, what's going through my mind is kind of me. I'm thinking, you know, it's like one and it's one. And once I realized what I'm thinking and me is not one, it's actually two entities. So I am able to listen to what is going through my mind. That means I can't be the thought. Otherwise, I couldn't be listening to it, right? If I'm able to listen to the bird, then I can't be the bird. Otherwise, I wouldn't be hearing it. So once I realized internally that's two, that was a significant shift in my life. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, this conversation has been wonderful. Uh, where can people find you? Find your work, find your business, find uh, maybe how to reach out to you? Yeah, so um, uh, definitely if this sounds like uh, interesting to you and you want to check out more, um, I would kind of direct you to my uh, website, mindsizesports.com. Um, talk about in much more detail everything that we talked about today, which was already kind of detailed, right? Mm -hmm. But like it just keeps going <laughs> much further. Um, and then you learn those skills there. Um, and then you can um, follow me on Instagram or Facebook, which is straka.la in both cases. And, um, you know, you can reach out to me there. I upload um, free practices and like, you know, sometimes also quotes, which, you know, are sometimes having those inspirational quotes can spark something. The inspirational quotes are nothing that are going to change your life like for the big time. But if it has some beneficial impact for you, then they can be powerful. So if that's something that you're into, you know, following me there, um, I'm happy to help anybody who reaches out. And those would be the three places. Yeah. Awesome. All righty. One last word for anybody before we leave. Um, I would say um, you're amazing, whether mm. you know it or not. Um, believe in yourself. Um, you have gone through a lot of things in your life. And our minds tend to hold on to and um, think about all of the challenging things and terrible things that might or might not happen. And we tend to forget all of the things that we have accomplished. And trying to recall that, you know, can have a very beneficial impact to realize like, yeah, I have been able to um, overcome this. I have been able to endure this. Like, I can do this. I am, you know, much better than sometimes my mind um, makes me believe I am. Mm, beautiful message. Christian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure also. Thank you so much, my man.